I'll share with you one of the insane positives of being able to bootstrap a company to nine figures of revenue. We were twice as much employee stock ownership as the very next company. And we were four times as much as the average because you didn't have to you know, share that with investors along the way. Welcome to the Founders Journey Podcast. Inspiration, education for founders by founders. All right. Welcome back to uh, another edition of the Founders Journey podcast here with my uh, my co-host, Peter Dean. Peter? Hey, how's it going? I'm back. How are you? Still. You're back again? You're back yeah. again. Week after week. If the audio on this is a little bit bad, it's because... I'm sitting in a cavernous ballroom with absolutely nothing in it because the internet at the not-to-be-named hotel isn't working very well. So they stuck me in a giant ballroom at a little card table. So um, anyway, here with uh, our guest, a uh, guy who's been a good friend of mine for a long time, um, Ben Wright. Ben is uh, is the CEO and, or the former CEO, now executive chairman. So this is part of the story. And uh, and most importantly, founder of a company called Velocity Global. So we're going to get into that super cool company, unbelievable story. So Ben, uh, welcome to the Founder's Journey podcast. Appreciate you joining us. Greg, it's great to be here with you. Although admittedly, I wish I was sitting across the card table for you at that cavernous <laughs> ballroom that just sounds <laughs> playing a game of euchre. Uh, Peter, good to see you. We could play a lot of miniature golf in here, I think. It's uh, or, or good, a good tag football game with no problem at all. Um, so I heard he's crazier than we are, Greg. Who's that, Ben? Yeah. Yeah, so Ben, we're going to get into a, a bunch of Ben's crazy, uh, crazy stories. Oh, this is awesome. So, so before we start, Ben, uh, and when we talk about crazy, we're not literally talking about crazy. No. But uh, as, as we've talked about in the podcast, uh, Peter and I have been into uh, endurance athletics uh, like Ironman and stuff like that for a number of years. And Ben just completely has topped all of that. So we're going to get into part, yeah. Of, yeah, he did. part of that story. That's the crazy part of the story. So Ben, uh, Velocity Global started it how many years ago? Uh, April 7th, 2014. So as the time that we're recording this, we're, uh, we're getting close to a decade. <laughs> yep. Yep. You can, see it. you can see it in the smile lines. It's right. yeah. <laughs> so tell us about it. How did you start it? What, first of all, what does it do? Then kind of walk back to the beginning of the story and, uh, and how did it start? Velocity Global is a global work platform. Um, and it allows companies to be able to hire, employ, you know, pay employees literally anywhere on the planet. 185 countries, all 50 United States. And it's a really amazing tool for being able to, again, from the company side, being able to employ people anywhere, but also from workers to be able to access work kind of regardless under which star you were born. It started as, you know, very first days, and I, I can tell you kind of more of the, the origin story, but it kind of started more as a, we started the industry. And so it, it started more as just kind of a concept, almost more of like a services company because we were trying to figure out if this thing could even work. And it has quickly evolved and morphed into to very much a, you know, a tech company. Um, because when you're employing people at scale across 185 countries, uh, you really need solid tech to be able to do that. So, I mean, today, the whole concept of remote work 
right? Globalization of the workforce, remote work. You know, when people, we talk about future of work and things like that. Um, but you were doing this 10 years ago before that was a thing at all. How did you, like, what, what got you into this? How, how did you, what were you doing? How did you get this? How did you start? I, I don't know if it's a Buddhist proverb or, or what have you. The, you know, sometimes you choose the path. Sometimes the path chooses you. I had always had a dream and wanted to be a CEO. Um, but I always joke with people, I started my career as an accountant. And so, you know, there was ain't nothing happening in the right side of my brain. Um, and so I would sit back and I'd think, let's think of an idea. Let's think about it. Think of an idea and just nothing would happen. And so I had still holding on to that dream in my mid thirties and kind of trying to figure out a directional path. And, uh, as luck would have it, I was sitting across from a, a CFO of an organization. And we started a conversation and he said, Hey, I've got this guy and I need to employ him in Saudi Arabia. Can you guys do business internationally? Can you help? And I said, sure. This is how, and I was an employee at a company at the time, but, um, and that company helped you set up your legal entities everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so I said, yes, this is how you set up this is, to employ somebody, you have to set up a company in Saudi Arabia. You have to get a tax ID, and then you apply for a work permit. And then once you have that, the employee comes on board, and then you have to do payroll, and then you need to give them benefits. And you know, then because you have an entity, you have to do taxes and, and all these different things. And the CFO is like, well, hold on, buddy. <laughs> I don't want a company in Saudi Arabia. I just want to employ this guy. And honestly, it's probably a two-year project. So this just doesn't make sense. But he said, listen, y'all, y'all do business in Saudi Arabia, right? And I said, well, yeah, that's how I know so much about it. And he said, well, why don't you just employ him there for me so that I don't have to go set up and register my company. And it was, that was the moment that the path chose me um, because it seemed to me a complete no brainer. Like, my gosh, why can't you do that? And using our platform, why can't you just employ people everywhere? But we didn't offer a service. And frankly, you know, the founder of the organization I was with was a little reticent to kind of venture into that space. And so I ran global partnerships for us. So I looked around and I said, well, there surely there must be somebody doing this. And there wasn't. So it took me about six months to convince my wife that I should leave my job and start a company. And once I kind of finally got her over the hump, um, I walked into the, the founder's office and I resigned and I said, you know, I, I think there's really something here. He was unswayed. And I think the march of time has uh, showed that I, I got that one right. <laughs> so from there, so you go in, you, you, you resign. And then it's all roses, right? Then you basically you start Velocity Global, it becomes a stunning success, <laughs> and right that was that the that was the trajectory, correct? Uh, that's exactly right. I mean, that's what we see on uh, you know Shark Tank. I mean, that's what that's what the books are written about, right? This is a hundred percent. It was amazing. I got up every morning and I said, "Oh, well, how did I wait so long to be an entrepreneur?" And I slept so well last night. <laughs> Why would anybody think this is hard? I don't even understand. This is the well, easiest thing out there. So you, you decide to start this thing, but then you, you make this other really critical decision, right? Which, I mean, if you want to compound the, the pain of starting a company, try to bootstrap it, right? And that's what you decided to do. And that's right. So what, what was the, 
what was the impetus behind saying, okay, I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to raise money for this. This is, I'm doing this on my own. Greg, I think there was a, I know there was a confluence of factors. First, so first and foremost, the company that I was leaving had been bootstrapped for a number of years, and then they started taking on venture capital. And to be clear, I wasn't in the C-suite. I was just outside it. And also to be clear, because I was, I kept banging my head up against that glass ceiling is why I ended up leaving because I, I desperately wanted to get into that C-suite and, you know, for, for a variety of reasons, some of them certainly being mine, I was never able to make that move, but I was close enough where I got to watch and see the pros and cons in, in a model like that of, of taking on capital. And, and for me, at the end of the day, when I watched that, I just thought, you know, I think if I were to do this, I would do it differently. I get the siren song of having a bunch of cash in the account, but I don't think this is the right use case for it. And we're talking about different businesses, but there also were a lot of parallels. And I looked at the business that I was thinking of starting and I said, you know, I think there's enough parallels here where I'm going to try for a while to see if I can do this without taking on outside capital. Two, this didn't exist, right? This didn't exist. And with all due respect to professional investors, for many of them, they've never actually operated in a business. Mm -hmm. And so they don't, very, very smart people can understand lots of different things, but don't necessarily understand the nuance of employment, right? They mm -hmm. just, they've never had to run payroll. They've never had to negotiate benefits. They've never had to kind of deal with paid time off. They never deal with all these things. And so trying to explain to that kind of community in, in a model that hadn't even existed before. And honestly, they even had a hard time just understanding, well, why do you even have to set up a company in the first place? And so I knew that, I knew that I would kind of struggle to get the words across and really get the the buy-in from that investor community. Um, and then the third part of it is I'm just, I've got a, for better or for worse, maybe it's a character strength, maybe it's a character defect. You know, I've got a pretty strong will and I really like it's that, you know, that American dream of the buck stops with me. And, and I just want, especially with my first go round, I just didn't want outside factors and influences. It's like, you know, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be responsible at the end of the day. And if I can't build a high growth business, you know, that has staying power, then, you know, maybe I'll go back to being an employee. Okay. So now you're out, right? So you're doing this, you're building this business. On your own, you've got, you're married, you're in your mid thirties at this point, you're, uh, and you're doing this without outside financing. Presumably you just gave up your income, right? Correct. When it went about eight, I think I went a year and a half without a salary to start. And then, and then even then, and listen, in the grand scheme of things, my first salary was reasonable compared to kind of the, the general population. But, um, you know, after a year and a half, I think I paid myself, $60,000 a year, you know, and, yeah. and it really took a long time to kind of continue to raise that because we were, we were living tightly. Yep. 
And, and that's not all, right? I mean, at the same time, and again, th this is where your story, Ben, I think just, it, you know, having known you for, for a number of years now, where your story is just still blows my mind, right, when I hear it. There were also other struggles going on. Like, this was not, you know, at the same time, you were battling some, some other issues, like some other addiction issues and things like that as well. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because that's, that's a really interesting part of this. I was, so to kind of set the stage, um, I actually started the business in sobriety. The early days of the business, I, I had the good fortune of being able to wake up every single morning with a clear head, but that wasn't my story for many of the years before that. H happy to talk about this. I mean, you know, I didn't, I was an athlete in high school, um, and we'd all take it funny because I have a high schooler now who's an athlete and I'm kind of watching him kind of start to go through this process. And they talk about this, you know, commitment to the team and the commitment to athleticism. And I took that very seriously. And so I didn't start drinking effectively until college. But whoa, boy, it's funny. My, my younger daughter, <laughs> who's still in middle school, said... Uh, you know, I said, I didn't drink in high school. She goes, well, what happened in college? Because she knows the story. And I said, well, yeah, that's where I well, really took off. You, you didn't drink effectively in high school, but then you became very effective at drinking in college, right? Is, is basically the way it went. That's a hilarious way to put it. hundred percent. It was a core competency. Uh, I was quite good. Uh, yeah, it was quite good. And it's funny. I, I tell people these days, um, you know, I said, and I think I was 31 when I got sober and they said, wow, that was really young. And I said, yeah, but I, I had hit my quota by 31. <laughs> I had really hit it hard. And so, yeah, there was, uh, you know, I, there was, there was a lot, you know, a lot of drinking, a lot of kind of late nights. I somehow, Greg, and I think it goes back to maybe that iron will, I still somehow managed to continue to advance my career. Yep. When I got sober, I eventually did lose that job kind of nine months, 12 months later. And it was because a lot of the wreckage that I had caused along the way. So it didn't happen immediately, but it, it eventually did. Yeah. So, but yeah, so I, I ended up getting sober at like 31 and um, 46 now. So, you know, 15 years later, celebrated the summer, um, you know, but for the grace of God, I haven't taken a drink one day at a time. And you know, I'm not going to sit up here on a sober soapbox and tell you if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you really shouldn't drink. But for this guy, man, I all of these amazing things that have happened along the way wouldn't have happened if I was still drinking, but they didn't necessarily happen because I haven't been drinking. But, you know, what I know for sure, there's no possible way I could have gotten up every single morning, you know, done what done what we've been able to accomplish and do if I was dealing with the hangovers that I used to deal with. So why, why is that, Ben? I mean, if you, if you think about it, what was the, outside of the obvious hangovers or things like that, like, what was the sober Ben mind like versus the not sober Ben mind? Like, it, not in the drunken state, but in the sort of the, the you know, one version to the other, that, that guy, right, who transformed. Wow. I don't know if any, I don't know if anybody's ever asked me that, Greg. This is uh, this is a really good question. So, uh, first and foremost, if you're 
you know, what, one of the things that the drinking does, and I, I ought to be totally honest, haven't studied a lot of the, the science behind it. I'm not a scientist, so take this all with a grain of salt, but one of the things that drinking does is it, it swells our brains, right? Um, and even it's crazy, even if I'd had one beer, uh, I wouldn't sleep as well that night mm -hmm. as opposed to having none. And I never realized that until I stopped drinking. Um, and I realized that even just having one beer at night actually impacted my sleep. How many books are there written about sleep, right? That's a really important part of it. Your brain, your, your brain swells, just not being as hydrated. Lots of things kind of go on physiologically. And so you just don't necessarily have that clarity of mind. Two, one of the things that I found when I stopped drinking is I was better able to handle life on life's terms. For some reason, and, and I, I hear this actually quite a bit from friends who've got a drink and then, and then got sober, we're more prone to just kind of fly off the handle. We're more prone to when we're drinking. Um, and again, I'll only speak for myself, but more prone to flying off the handle, more prone to this. I, I couldn't handle as much of the, the multiple inputs that come in when you're an entrepreneur, you know, I had to be kind of focused because there's just too much noise. It really helped open the aperture and it, it, it helped me to have better empathy for those around me. It, 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 I had more energy coming into the day. I could handle a diversity of issues that came in. And so I guess all of those things. Yeah. It's, it's super fascinating, right? I mean, that, that what you just said about the too much noise, I think whether you're, whether you're sober or you're not, whether, you know, kind of wherever you are on that spectrum, right? And I think most people listening to this are probably somewhere in the middle, right? And, um, you know, probably you're, you know, have a few drinks or, you know, whatever, but, it, but that, what you just said about that, the role, you know, as an entrepreneur, the amount of noise that's just coming at you and your ability to filter it, right? Your ability to just kind of take in the parts that you need to, but ignore the rest of it is brutally difficult. I mean, you just, you just have, it's, there's just this constant, constant barrage, right? And that's the, that's, I think the fundamental challenge or among, you know, one of the many fundamental challenges that entrepreneurs face is how do you figure out what matters and what doesn't matter, right? Here you are, I mean, you're, you're building this business that's starting to get momentum. All this stuff is coming at you and figuring out what matters, what doesn't matter. How do, where do I focus, right? Because you could focus everywhere, but. Completely. You know, it, it makes me think there's a, a kind of a couple follow-on points to that. I'll, I'll take it and run with it. Uh, when I first stopped drinking, I didn't realize now maybe I was kind of more along the path than, than most people. Um, but I suspect some people listen to this may, you know, may resonate. I didn't realize how much I thought about drinking until I stopped. And then, again, I, I drank a lot, but... Those first couple months, I realized that it came into my mind about every minute, about once a minute, I would have a thought about drinking. And I actually didn't realize that to be the case prior. Again, how is there room for that, right? I'm trying to figure out, you know, insurance for the business. You know, we've got a competitor that's just popped up. You know, one of my sales guys not performing. I don't have time for that, right? I don't have time to even think about those things. Two, we've all had a situation where 
you know, whether you had a lot to drink or maybe not even necessarily a lot to drink, with the next morning you're like, ah, what was I thinking last night? Right? If you're an entrepreneur, if you're a founder, work never stops. For better or for worse, right? It never stops. And maybe nobody's pinging you on email or Slack, but it never stops in your head. You're always thinking about work. Who's to say that you're going to be making those right decisions at nine o'clock at night after you've had a couple Manhattans? You know, the next morning you may be regretting kind of certain things that you've done just in your day to day life, but you're also making business decisions. So, again, I want to be very clear. I'm not sitting up here saying everybody ought to go get sober, but man, there's no way I would have had some of the success and accomplishments I had if, if for me, if I hadn't. My current company, I bootstrapped, and I know. That is not an easy road. Um, I've had people multiple times say, hey, do you want to take, is it, you know, I talk about, hey, I'm dealing with this problem. They're like, is the problem really that or do you need to take money? I'm sure that's happened to you over and over again. What what was it like? What is What do you think the challenges are for bootstrapping like that you dealt with? I know you dealt with them. You could have probably taken money at different times or at least investigated those people saying, Hey, you should take money, you know? Yeah. I, I remember sitting across, I went to dinner with a, an entrepreneur one night. We just recently met and Hey, you know, you started a company. I started a company. Let's go get dinner and bounce ideas off one another. And he looked across me and said, you have to take outside capital. And I was like, <laughs> why? Oh, you just, you just have to. And he kind of started naming off things and, and none of them hit home for me. None of them really resonated. I walked out of that meeting thinking this guy probably thinks I'm a total idiot and he's maybe he's right and I'm wrong. Um, but just none of them really, really hit home. And, and so much of it is, you know, you got to grow, you got to do this, you need the expertise, you know, and so on and so forth. And, you know, I, I fully recognize, I think we got very blessed that, that I happened to choose an industry and a sector whose time was now, but nobody had done it yet. And so we got very fortunate in that I hopped on, you know, this life path at a time when the world was really looking for something like this. So we had a lot of great tailwinds, but we ended up bootstrapping to, you know, as you said, over nine figures of revenue. And so I, I think I made the right call in doing that. But the the downsides along the way were, you know, I have wasn't able to pay people as much along the way as I would like to have. Um, had some early employees who come out of college with an incredible student loan debt, who are incredible professionals, who are just living hand to mouth for those first few years because we just didn't have enough to go around. You know, in some cases, had to make decisions to leave the organization because they just needed a larger paycheck. And yes, we had a, a we had a stock program, but couldn't wait that long, right? Life gets in the way and couldn't wait that long. Yeah. So those are some of the challenges. You know, I think our industry is a is a perfect case study of kind of how industries grow and evolve. And I'll be very specific. You know, we we really launched this space. We self-funded to over nine figures of revenue. And along the way, and we knew this would happen, people started paying attention. And we had a handful of competitors arrive five years in, six years in the kind of this journey. And the venture capital community was paying attention. And so they said, there's a great founding team. Here's a blank ton of money, right? Go. And 
they have once someone has kicked the door down like we did and once someone has shown that this is a really interesting industry then you can start getting some of the me too's that come in and do this with mm -hmm. just armed with with truckloads of cash yeah if as i look back i think that if we had potentially taken on capital earlier if we had just kind of timed it right and gosh how much you know how to time it? if we taken capital earlier maybe we could earlier meaning seven years in you know six years yeah. in something along those lines then maybe we could have had some of that you know we've had to make decisions about growth certainly along the way because you don't have any pockets to reach into we've still obviously grown crazy i mean i think we're the fastest growing company in the history of colorado so we've done well but i think we could have <laughs> done more with some of that capital and and others have um you know others there's a lot have, of there's a lot ahead. of colorado companies <laughs> that's right that's right you know there's like there's like cores right like cores is stuck in the middle of colorado and you you managed to beat them that was yeah. that's impressive do you think like growth like do you think it could have sped your growth up is that what you're saying like you could have probably accelerated some I, I think there's a point in time that famous, you know, speech by Steve Jobs, we can never connect the dots forward. We can only connect them backwards. Yeah. I can look back at some points of connecting the dot. And I think there may have been, you know, if I could rewrite history, I'd go back. Oh, that's the moment, you know, maybe I'd go raise a hundred million, 200 million kind of at that point and just throw it all into growth. But... I also don't think that's necessarily fair because let me tell you what's happening today is, is, and again, I love studying our industry. You've got the folks who started it, who've grown, who've grown profitably, that have sustainable businesses. I mean, Velocity Global is a profitable enterprise today. We've been profitable all throughout the history, right? And we've been able to grow the way we have. You have some of these newer entrants that have just thrown burning. I mean, just pile yeah. all that cash right. up and just light it on fire, baby. One or two of them have done a very good job translating that into growth, but man, and they continue to burn a ton of money. The right. market doesn't want that anymore. The market yeah. is saying, you know, you have to prove and demonstrate if you want to be public, if you want to, you know, continue to be a sustainable business, you have to be able to show sustainable growth, high growth, um, but also, you know, more importantly, that sustainable and profitable growth. And there's some of our competitors that are just simply not going to be able to get out of their own way. They're so far away from being able to turn that corner on profitability, um, where that's simply in our DNA and we build a business already that's, that's, that's who we are. That thing about in your DNA, right? That, that is a real thing where companies that you either build a company and it's your DNA to burn cash. I see this all the time. Yeah. Or you build a DA or the you build the culture and the DNA of the company to be profitable. And neither side can imagine ever being the other, right? That's the interesting. Well, I think less probably less so going from the cash burn to the profitable. They all want to be, but they struggle to get there because it's not in their DNA, right? Yeah. It, it's a it's a real it's a real thing that it gets so deeply embedded in the way that that company operates. It's a struggle. The tide turns economically, like we're seeing today. You're no longer rewarded for growth at any cost and cash, you know, burning capital. And they can't stop. Yep. Right. Bingo. Yeah. I was just going to ask the, the other benefit of not taking capital is being able to go slow at sometimes. 
right? To, to learn, to let it play out instead of trying to force something to happen, right? Um, did you ever deal with that? Let's go back to DNA. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, I, I can't do go slow. Um, so yes, it, we probably would have had that opportunity. This goes back to, I, I think for me, if I'm going to be introspective, um, I don't think I should have lived to the age of 40 on the path that I was on. This goes back to the whole drinking and that stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm telling you, I mean, I don't have any proof because I'm still here alive and I'm over 40, but <laughs> I don't think I would have been alive at 40 if I'd continued along that path. And so a lot of the things that I brought to this company that I founded was who knows what tomorrow is going to bring for us, right? All we have dominion over is today. And God damn it, let's grow as fast as we can today. And let's just mm-hmm. move as fast as we can and let's break stuff. And yeah, I suppose theoretically, you know, we could have. Yeah. Um, you know, I've talked about some of the things that are the, you know, maybe drawbacks of, of, of self-growth. Also some of the positives. I'll share with you one of the insane positives of being able to bootstrap a company to nine figures of revenue. When we did our Series B, we pinged the bankers and we said, listen, do me a favor. They're well-known, large bankers work with all kinds of companies. And we said, analyze all the Series B uh, capital raises that you've done around there and take a look at how much stock the employees own in all those different companies, right? And we, we, we picked cohorts that kind of looked like us, had our growth, our size. Mm-hmm. There was lots of them. We were twice as much employee stock ownership as the very next company. And we were four times as much as the average because you didn't have to, you know, share that with investors along the way. Um, And so the employees Mm -hmm. of Velocity Global are going to be incredibly well off for being along this journey because of, yes, we've had to tighten our belts along the way, um, but stick with us and be here for, you know, the liquidity events when those happen. And this is going to be, we're able to do things that, that other companies just simply haven't. So those early sacrifices translate into real wealth creation, right? I mean, once, because right. they, the, you know, as the story developed, you know, we've talked, we're talking about the, or, you know, we've talked about the origin story and stuff, and we've mentioned this, but I mean, Velocity Global today is where, I mean, th- this is, I mean, it's a stunning success. Can you talk about sort of the, that kind of, the other day, just to give you some perspective, I don't really watch. Uh, Peter's son is is an extraordinary golfer, and uh, and every once in a while, like I, you know, my the extent of my golfing is like every once in a while, I, you know, like catch something. It was really funny. Like I was watching a clip on like ESPN or something, and the guy that they were showing had a Velocity Global uh, logo, and I was like, "Holy crap!" I wasn't impressed with the golfer. I have no idea who it even was. But I do know, I probably shouldn't say that, but I do know, I do know that, that I was thoroughly impressed that I was like, that's my buddy Ben's company. Holy <laughs> shit. That's like Ben. Yeah, I mean, so, so that tells me that it became a success, but talk about where it is today. Yeah, it, it's been, it's been an incredible run again, coming on 10 years. Um, business has been amazing. We've, we could, we've, we've really made that transition into much more of a, a tech company along the way, which has been hard to do. And sort of the early days dragging everybody along. Can you talk about kind of DNA? We've been making incredible moves in that regard. And I, I should caveat and say, and you've, you've mentioned this prior, you know, about six months ago, 
I, I brought in a, a CEO, a new CEO. And so I'm not in the day-to-day role anymore. Um, I'm executive chairman on the board. Uh, Frank Calderoni has stepped in to be the CEO. He's incredible, doing an amazing job. Very, very well known in the tech and valley community. Knows scale like very few people. It's been amazing to have him on board. You know, what we've done, and in particular what Frank has done, is has really done a nice job of 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 really solidifying the core foundation around that tech, you know, creating new products. Way the organization is is growing. Um, we're really getting mature for that next phase of the organization. The diversification around kind of the types of companies that we're supporting all across the globe. It is becoming a, a, a it's a real concern, right? It's a yeah. real, and by concern, I mean a going a good concern, right, yeah. a good concern. That's that's only that's, that's that's spoken only like an accountant, Ben. It's a, sorry, it's a it's a real right. concern. Yeah. It's a good it's a good thing. <laughs> it's a good thing. Or an entrepreneur that went through this the whole time. It's always oh, yeah. a concern. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely right. It you know, guys, I, I got to tell you, it just it is it has totally exceeded all of my expectations when I started the company. Um, it's way more than we ever dreamed and expected. Although there were times along the way where I would wake up and say, oh my gosh, I totally undersold the opportunity here. And hmm. so there were many points along the way where the aperture opens and the aperture opens yeah. and the aperture opens. And it's still happening today. It, mm-hmm. it, it, I cannot believe I had a conversation the other day with a longtime CFO, actually a well-known CFO, and they said, you know, I didn't even know that there was a platform that did something like this. And I could think of five times in the last 10 years that I could have used this. And so the TAM, we've just scratched the surface yeah. on it. And so we're feeling very fortunate. What you built was extraordinary or is extraordinary. And, and the bootstrapping it to where it is, is beyond extraordinary. And the foresight whether you meant to have this or not, <laughs> the foresight for where we are today as a, you know, in the globalization of the workforce and remote work. And I mentioned this when we first started, did you see that? Like, did, did you see that coming or was that just kind of, yeah, this seems to be a need and I don't know where this is going to go, but man, I mean, you could not have been more prescient if you saw that. He was asked to do it. First time, right? <laughs> <laughs> goes me. That's right. That's right. Um, I, I'll tell you, when I first started the company, w- one thing I knew is that when, when, when businesses did business globally and particularly had employees globally, the biggest issues, I saw it firsthand, the biggest issues they faced were around employment. Um, and, and, and it, that's a nuanced thing. It's not just how do I pay payroll? How do I get benefits? You know, what happens if this individual goes on maternity leave in Brazil? How, how do I deal with that? It's also just the whole employment experience because happy, engaged employees do better work. Everything revolved around the employee experience. Um, and yet what everybody was talking about was all this, taxes and legal entity stuff. And it was, you know, it was kind of the lawyers and the accountants dominating the conversation. But what we were missing was the most important part, which was the employee. So I think as I look back, if I deserve any credit, it's, I 
I truly had the belief that we we had the possibility to change the way companies do business globally. In my heart of hearts, I believed it. I said, if we do our job, companies are going to start to wake up and realize, actually, if I get this right, so many other things fall right into place. And the good news is, this is not only good for us and our employees, it's a highly compliant. So it's not like we're skirting the rules. We're actually doing things the right way. And we're also improving as an organization, improving that employee experience. We have managed to accomplish that to a degree. There is so much more greenfield in front of us. But that's one thing we have, we have, in my opinion, been able to start changing the thinking of people. And of course, that's been good for a business like ours. We didn't anticipate a global pandemic, um, but that has been... It was an additional wind in the sails of all the organizations who are in this space, you know, us included. But I'll be honest with you, when you really strip it all back, it all just boils down to people and employment. And yes, for a period of time, for the first three months of the pandemic, nobody was hiring and we all freaked out. Then everybody went hiring and they all went remote. And there was kind of a wind in the sails of a lot of us. And then we've kind of returned back to more of a normalized state, but that normalized state, you still have to have employees. You still have to engage them. They may be anywhere across the globe and you just don't have a team internally who knows how to do all those things, knows how to make those employees in that happy in that country, are speaking local language, understand the local customs. And you certainly don't want to build your own platforms <laughs> that calculate payroll. And do paid time off and all these other things you have to do. So it's a or it's a fundamentally have an entity in that in that country or yeah, exactly. you know yeah. I think that that's the that's a part of the story. I think when you look at the complexity of this business, right? I mean, it is it is today it is a tech company, but it's a tech company with how many how many countries are you operating in today? That's a better question for the current CEO, but uh, <laughs> I, I'll give you I'll give you kind of round numbers. I mean, we lots I know and lots, right? lots and lots capabilities in 185. Something tells me we're probably employing people today, this very day, and 160 of them. I mean, everywhere. Right, and this is this is the classic example, Ben, of when you when you look at you know when when entrepreneurs when I talk to entrepreneurs like you know that will say, you know, what business should I get in or how should I think about that? Th this is the classic example of solving a problem that no one wants to deal with. This is the, this is the HR equivalent of like owning the, you know, the garbage company, right? It's like, I don't want to deal with that shit. Like nobody, yeah. you built this company based on the fact that nobody could figure this out. Nobody wanted to do it. It was wildly complex. That's the foundation of it. Pretty lucky, huh? <laughs> no, it's not luck, man. Um, <laughs> I know you well enough to know that's not luck. Just talk about the crazy part now. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so wait, I want to before we get into the before we yeah. get into what you're doing today, I just want to hit on one last thing. So, you and I both have gone through, and I'm and I'm just interested in your perspective on this, right? Because now you you and I have both gone through this recently, right? Where we started companies, we stepped away as yeah. you know we were founders, stepped away as the CEO replaced ourselves with, with new CEOs, right? Had new CEOs come in. 
Talk about that transition for a minute before we get into kind of where you're spending your time today, which is bizarre. <laughs> We're gonna <laughs> we'll talk about uh, fun, fun, bizarre. Um, talk about uh, talk about that transition. What's it been like for you? How is it? Because it's a this is a this is when we talk about the founder's journey. This is truly a real piece of that journey as you move out of that CEO world. Completely. And it's a part that very few people are talking about, right? Um, oh my gosh. I mean, I've got it right up there in my bookcase, but I just can't quite make it out. I just finished a book. There's a great book out there. Finish, well, Finish Big. I think Finish Big. Great book, I think, for all entrepreneurs to read well before you start getting to the place of potentially transitioning out. Great, great book. There's just not much written on this space. Nobody ever really talks about it. And it honestly, it's it's incredibly complex. And it just catches you off guard. There's times when you're like, yeah, I saw that coming. And and five times otherwise, you're like, I didn't see that coming at all. In terms of your own mental well-being, your own transition, your own spirit, kind of whatever it happens to be. I'll give you the real quick story of why in, in our case, in my case, is I was looking at all the things that we need to do as an organization. And I was realizing, man, this is these are all the things that we need to go accomplish and do from the CEO seat as I look forward the next five years. At the same time, we were having real challenges on the home front. You know, I wasn't around as much as I should be. I'd go into my office at seven in the morning. I'd come out at six. I'd been on Zoom calls all day. We did two capital raises in that time. We bought two companies during that time. And I'd walk out of my office and my family would be there saying, hey, you know, 6 p.m., let's talk. And I would have to say, I, I, need, a, I need a pause. I need a pause. I, I need a quick break. I need to recollect myself. And that's no way to be a partner. That's no way to be a dad. Um, and I, when I'm looking at all the things that we have to do coming up, I I was driving my son to baseball practice one day and who, you know, was an eighth grader at the time. Um, and I said, hey, man, I'm thinking the idea is coming to my brain that maybe I bring in a CEO and I transition into a board seat. And he said, um, well, why would you do that? And I said, well, you know, it's been really tough on the family the last couple of years. The whole 10 years have been tough, but the last couple of years particularly tough on the family. The work is only going to increase from here. Um, what this would allow us to do is get somebody in the seat who, you know, can focus all that time and all that attention. And it'll give me more time. I can still be involved in the organization. I will still be involved in the organization. I can help with direction where we're going to go. I believe in this thing more today than I've ever have before, mm -hmm. but it would give me more time to be around with, with you guys. And I said, what do you think I should do? And he said, I think you should step into the chairman role. And I said, Why? And he looks at me and he says, because I want to spend more time with you, Dad. And it was like, decision made, right? Yeah. Decision made. Let's go do this. It took me a month to get up the guts to tell my investors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I had to set like a deadline. I said, I will not. It was, it was late last year. I said, I will not. Christmas will not come and go without me telling the investors. And man, I had so many sleepless nights. Um. And, you know, I, I finally kind of got him over the hump and, and we brought in this incredible CEO and it's been great. But I feel like I've done a lot of work in the lead up to it of separating myself 
from the business. This is a company that is going concern. We have 700 plus employees, you know, hundreds of millions of revenue. It is not Ben Wright's. It is Velocity Global. It is a business. It will continue to go. You know, Frank Calderoni is the CEO. There are still sometimes along the way where all the work that you do, you still kind of get caught a little bit, right? Emotionally. Yeah. There's times that the CEO makes decisions that you wouldn't necessarily make, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm going to sit back here and I'm going to support 100%, right? Like this is the individual we've got coming in here. And to be very clear, those that they've been a couple that I've come across have been small, inconsequential, no big right. deal. I support them a hundred percent, right? Like directionally, we're we're totally aligned. But it's hard to kind of give up a little bit of that control. The flip side being, um, you know, my daughter looked at me the other day and said, uh, "Boy, it's just sure great to have you around a lot more, Dad. Right? Great to have you around more." And, you're just not as stressed as you used to be. And, you know, she wrote me a note on Father's Day that I, I keep right there that, you know, the nice thing, happy Father's Day, the whole thing. And then she said, I know how much the family means to you when you step down from the CEO role. That must have been a really hard decision for you to make. And it's like, yeah. this is why I did it. Ben, we've we've got to do a whole episode on the, on this concept of founder transitions, right? Because it is... It is something you're right. It's it's not something that a lot of people talk about. I think um, I'm curious that uh, finish big. Did Martin Babinick send you that book? Our friend, uh, our sort of mutual friend, Martin. Did he send you that? He either sent it to me. He certainly recommended it. I, he I did. Think okay. he sent yeah. it to me. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. that's uh, I know when I when when I was kind of getting toward my end and was starting to think about leaving. He had uh, he had actually sent me. Uh, sent me a copy of that book as well or recommended it or sent it or sent it to me or something. It came, uh, it came through. Fair but enough. I think doing that, you know, doing an episode around that because it is the, it's more difficult, I think, than, you know, there's this perception, right? You build, you go, you build this great company. But the reason we call this the founder's journey is because so much of this is so deeply personal, right? And these businesses are, yep. are, you know, become our identity, become who we are. And you start to move out of those things and you you hit on something I think that really resonates with me, which is the which is your role now. And, and this is very much the way I've tried to operate, you know, with with my previous company as well, which I'm still on the board of, and and everything else, same kind of thing. Our job is to unequivocally support the CEO who came in, right? It is not to second guess. It's not to undermine. It's not to you know, it is, it is to be the, it is to be that one person in the world who can recognize the challenges that this person mm. is going to face and to unequivocally support that person. It's a, it's an interesting thing that I think requires a level of humility that um, is not always congruent with successful entrepreneurs. Right? Totally. <laughs> Totally. You know, and it's easy to kind of forget that role sometimes. And you see it go both ways. You see where people, and, you know, do it extraordinarily well. And you see where people, you know, step away from those roles. And it's just instant combat, right? It's, yeah. it's that second guessing that's, I'm going to be there to tell you every single thing that's going wrong. And I'm going to be your biggest critic. And it is, it, it not only is bad for the company, it's horrible for the entrepreneur themselves, because it's, 
it's that trying to re, trying to you said the word right trying to separate your identity yeah velocity global is a thing ben wright is a human <laughs> these things are not the same right right but trying to get that kind of separation can be a really difficult transition to make so We've got to do an episode around this at some point. So I think it should be a whole whole spin-off podcast. I mean, you could have every absolutely. week you could have stories around this. Let's do it. Well, let's do it. We'll do another <laughs> uh, we'll we'll launch another podcast. Peter and I already have limitless amounts of time for this one. So um that, that's what we need. But I love it. So you so you you leave as the CEO, you step down as CEO, you become executive chairman, and then you turn from Ben Wright into Forrest Gump <laughs> is basically the short story. It is the short story. Yeah. So you might want to, you might want to just add some color to that one. So people know what I'm talking about. All right. So you, you decide you're going to run every, you just start running and you decide and there's probably some, there's probably a Joe Rogan level podcast that we could do on the psychology of what the hell you're doing with the running you're doing. So you just started running and you just didn't stop running and you're running marathons all over the place. You did what? Seven, seven marathons, seven continents, seven days at one point to talk about, uh, talk about where you're spending your time around endurance athletics today too, because we know <laughs> you're spending a lot of time on the home front, but you got this other thing going on. I got this other thing. I got this other thing. <laughs> Spend a lot of time on the home front, and I also run hours a day. Yes, earlier this year, I did an event called the World Marathon Challenge, which was seven marathons, seven continents, seven days. Happy to answer any questions you have about that. It, this all kind of came to be because, it, boy, talk about a way to tie, to tie it all back together. I used to come to at like noon on a Saturday right? After a big Friday night, having no energy, no anything else. And then that right got taken away from me if I wanted to continue to live to see my 40th birthday. And instead, I started waking up at 6 a.m. on Saturday mornings and looking around and going, well, everybody's asleep. I got all this energy. Weather's nice. What the <laughs> hell am I going to do with myself? And I had some friends who were kind of getting into cycling. I'm like, that's ridiculous. I, nobody wants to be running around in Liker. I'm not going to do that. And a year, a month later, <laughs> I had a bike. You've, you've, clearly, uh, you've clearly seen me and me and Peter in our, uh, in our, in our cycling outfits. So you're correct. Yeah. Nobody, nobody would ever want to see middle-aged men in Lycra. And uh, so you're correct in what you're saying. The Brits call that mammals, right? Middle-aged men in Lycra. I love that. <laughs> I love that uh, expression. In fact, if anybody goes into this cavernous room that you have right there, Greg, they'll find you sitting at a uh, at a card table in a cavernous room with bike shorts on underneath. You know, business <laughs> on top, athletics on bottom. That's right. That's so I, I did it. I bought a bike. I got totally into to biking. Uh, never really biked before. Filled my eyes with wonder that boy, you can just go long distances and see stuff and get you actually feel good afterwards. So I'd really gotten into cycling and then with Velocity Global, especially starting Velocity Global, I was traveling all around the world when we were very small, um, setting up operations in all these different countries, meeting with partners, you know, meeting with clients, meeting with the, the employees that we're supporting. And I find I found I wouldn't exercise because what are you going to do? Be in Paris for 36 hours and go find a bike shop and bike around. I mean, you know, you're just, you're not going to do that. Yeah. Maybe you have like a city bike, but you're not going to actually get a workout. And so I started packing running shoes and I was like, I hate running, but I started packing running shoes. 
I mean, I get goosebumps thinking about it. You know, I, I went for this run one time in New Delhi, which I probably shouldn't have done because it was making global news with the air quality. I mean, you, could, you couldn't see like 20 feet in front of you. It just tasted, oh, it was awful. But yet I ended up running through a slum that I didn't even anticipate and expect. And it was running through beautiful parts of Delhi. And all of a sudden I'm running through this slum and people are giving me these really weird looks about this, you know, six foot four curly haired white dude, Yankee kind of running through this thing, <laughs> seeing I would never have been in there otherwise. And it has taken me places that I just couldn't believe. And so typical and you know all the listeners could probably say well this guy obviously has an addictive personality so of course this makes sense it uh, it took me to kind of more extremes and i started finding that man i can run a really long way and have fun with that and so i i'd heard about this world marathon challenge and i thought that just seems impossible and again character strength character defect who knows it's a real fine line when when people tell me that seems impossible, <laughs> that, that is on the wall of my locker room, right? Like that yeah. goes right on the board. You, you have no idea. You have no idea what you've just kind of sparked in me when you say that, but it goes on that wall. And the more people say that just seems impossible that my gosh, I'm, I'm going to do this and I'm going to absolutely crush this thing. And so, um, yeah, did that. And I've really kind of continued. I've signed up for my first hundred mile race in the spring. I run a New York marathon in a couple of days and have just really found a passion for running. And, and I'll, I'll stop talking here, but also learned a few years ago that I'm a better person. I'm a better professional. I'm a better father. I'm a better friend. I'm just, I'm better to be around on days that I work out. And so I decided to start a streak um, in 2021 of running every day. I haven't run yet this morning, but I'm going to run today. And I think today will be a day 1,035. So I've run for 1,035, 1,034 straight days. But as long as I go run today before the, uh, the sun goes down, then. So on a day like this, <laughs> how, how far, how far will you go run today? Like what, what, what's a kind of a normal day, right? You got a marathon this weekend. So presumably I don't know, maybe you don't taper, but, uh, you know, presumably you're probably easing up a little bit, right? Yeah, I'm easing up. I'm easing up for this one. We're, we're tapering. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, um, depending on kind of what the race schedule looks like. But for this one, I've been been tapering. I've also got a, a very, very sore and kind of a lot of pain at this moment. Um, you know, none of it's skeletal, none of it joints. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of muscular stuff. And so, so I'm taking it a little bit easier. This year, I don't have a minimum distance, but, you know, today I'll probably do... I don't know. I'll probably do somewhere between like two to seven miles, just kind of whatever feels right. What you're talking about really resonates with me. I mean, you know, being somebody, and I know Peter too. I mean, Peter and I have trained together for years and, um, but you know, that ability, when you're starting a company, you're building the business, traveling all over the place. This is something I went through for, you know, a long time too, that, that freedom to just stick a pair of running shoes in, right. And just have that yeah, that those few moments to yourself, wherever you are in another city. I mean, those have been, I'm with you. Those have been some of the most extraordinary runs that I've ever done as well. Right. And it's not the, you know, I mean, yeah, the marathons are fun and the, you know, things like that, but, but it's those couple mile runs. I remember 
not long ago, you know, I was in Kingston, Jamaica with, um, at a conference down there, speaking at a conference down there and just going out for this like little run in Kingston. I think I ran a mile and a half or something because I had no idea where I was going. And um, Kingston's an extraordinary place, you know, and just ending up accidentally at my run at the Bob Marley Memorial, right? Which <laughs> yeah. is like extra, unbelievable. And I'm a huge Bob Marley fan. And, you know, so, I mean, just, these are like the little, these are the things that you just kind of stumble into. I did not run in New Delhi, by the way. You are way braver, <laughs> um, braver than, <laughs> than me, clearly. When you can taste the air, New Delhi's a great place, oh. but when you can taste the air, uh, and generally that was, uh, I'm not even sure I ran on a treadmill there. I think, yeah, they, they I don't advise you run outside, but what do you know? <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you gonna do? <laughs> Greg, well, it's funny. I, I, I got actually a funny story for you real quick. I did a training run the other day, and if you know nobody's from listening from Colorado, you may not know the, the geography, but I had a training run the other day. I started at kind of 5 in the afternoon, and I, I started at Red Rocks, and I, I just went up up into the hills, and I ended up running to the top of Evergreen Mountain. So yeah, right right by my house. I, right by your house. On the way back down, I'm still very high up in Evergreen. On the way back down, I end up on a road and there's two cars coming the other way. So I go to the other side of the road. Because at this point, it's pitch black. I got a you know a light on my head. Um, I mean, at this point, it's 10 o'clock at night or something like that, right? 9 o'clock at night. Um, and two cars pass. And right as they come by, I roll my ankle and I roll bad. And it's like, pop, 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 pop. And I, you know, I hit the ground, my phone goes flying and, and the car stopped. And they're like, dude, are you all right? And I was like, ah, oh. I kind of stumble back up and I'm assessing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think I'm all right. And the guy goes, listen, if you live around here, I, I'll give you a ride home. Oh, that looked pretty bad. <laughs> and I look at him and I said, oh, I can't, man. I'm running back to Denver. And he goes, What? And I said, uh, all right, you guys have a good night. And I take off down the road and he looks, I, I could hear him, right? It's pitch black, but I could hear him. He looks over his buddy and he goes, did that guy say he's running back to Denver? All the pain in that ankle instantly went away, right? Talk about locker room material, right? Or, uh, you know, bulletin board material. You tell me that that sounds impossible. Like uh, all that pain just went away instantly. It was great. I was laughing, smiling. I've oh, driven from his house to Red Rocks before. It's a long drive. I mean, to, to, just so people understand, if you're not from, if you don't know the geography of the Denver area, like, we, you know, we talk about Denver as like a place. Well, I mean, the, the metro area is enormous. And where Ben's talking about Red Rocks, to get up to Evergreen, Colorado, which is the town I live in, from Red Rocks, you, you actually, I mean, it is, not only is it about 20 to 20, you know, it's about 20 miles or so. It's also about 3,000 feet. I was going to say the elevation change is massive. The Ben is talking about what he said. It ran up, then it ran up Evergreen Mountain. So it's like you get into the town of Evergreen, but then he ran a mountain. She, once he got up to 3,000 feet, he actually ran up a mountain. I've and then ran back down before from Greg's yeah. house, which is right next to it. I'm right and at the base of it. I mean, I'm, I'm literally at the base of that. And it's still a five-mile hike. To get from my house to the base or to the summit and back, literally in my backyard. Um, that's uh, that's hilarious. I figured you'd well, get a kick out of that one. That's extraordinary. Well, you know, if you had called, I could have uh, I could have come pick you up, but you wouldn't let me drive you home anyway. So. I would. Yeah, that's right. That's um, right. I was only halfway there. I had a lot more to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Ben, this is uh, this is awesome. I think that you know the story of Velocity Global is just extraordinary, and you know being a 
being a guy who's had the privilege to be around you for a number of years and follow the story, you know, up close for a long time, it's, um, you know, for those of you who are listening to this, Ben is truly one of the good guys, um, <laughs> you know, who, uh, who built an incredible business and couldn't be, uh, you know, couldn't be a better guy to go along with it. So Ben, how do, how do people reach you? If somebody's listened to this, they want to, they want to connect with you. Um, what's the best way to do it? Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. You, LinkedIn's great, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. On LinkedIn, probably the, probably the easiest way to, to go about it. Um, one of the things I've done in the last uh, six months is kind of step away a bit from kind of social media and those sort of things. And so uh, I'm sure you can find me out there, but I'm, I'm not really active on them right now. And honestly, I'm not missing it. So LinkedIn's probably a good one. Good. Cool. Good. All right, Ben. Thanks have, so much. This is, uh, this is awesome. What, Peter? Ha have fun in New York. Um, that's an absolute tour of the city, which is amazing. I've done it twice. Right. It's, it's so fun. Just Any enjoy every minute me? of it. What's that? Any advice? Just enjoy every minute of it. If you get out to the site, it's very crowded. At least when I was where I run, there's a lot of people. Probably less when you're running, but <laughs> the group you're running with, I'm running like with a lot of people. So I get out to the edges and the energy of the people the entire way, absolutely from the start to the finish, except for one neighborhood in Brooklyn. Oh, there's people everywhere. Uh, absolutely cool. everywhere. What what so. Peter and I like to do when we run marathons together, Ben, is we like to sprint as hard as we can <laughs> off the starting line. Like just go fall out, like sprint. And then so we can say we led the race. We actually were winning the <laughs> New York Marathon or Boston Marathon or whatever we were doing. In New York, I was not allowed to start with those people. Like I was so yeah. far back. I didn't right. start till and like then, 10 30. And then we normally like scramble in over the finish line, usually right around like when they're, when the banners are coming down and like, you know, yeah. there's like, they left like one dude there to be like, I don't know, these guys may be dead. We don't know if they're actually going to finish. They may, they probably died somewhere, but we're just going to give them like another 10 minutes and just see what happens. Right behind us. The van is right behind us. <laughs> the van is right behind us. But the sweetest part is, the, the sweetest part is they're holding hands as they cross the finish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Our, our family still accuse us of this today. We're, we're denying it. I do not believe that we held hands over no. the finish line at Ironman. At least we're not going to admit it. Uh, it's, it's, too, it's too awful of an image. <laughs> anyway, uh, on that note, uh, this was awesome. Thanks so much, Ben. We'll get you back on again. And uh, because I know, knowing you, this story, this story is going to take another turn here at some point when you start to figure out what you're doing next. So it may, we'll, uh, we'll get you back on. All uh, right. Appreciate that. Really good to spend time with you guys. And, uh, you know, the success that you guys have had, I know you're sitting here interviewing me, but, uh, you know, you dad told me 15 years ago, I'm going to be interviewed by a couple people like you about my story. I, I tell you, you're full of it. So, um, you know, <laughs> good company. I appreciate it. I uh, appreciate that. All right, Ben. And, uh, until next time on, uh, on the founder's journey podcast, we'll see you.